on this warm and balmy Saturday, uh, January morning. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online. Um, this morning we're going to talk about foundations, foundations of our faith, of our walk with the Lord. The picture you're about to see here was nine years ago this past week. It was a frigid January week. A little story about our church building here. You might recognize this is this back corner over here. We laid the foundation. They started laying the concrete foundation of our building on New Year, uh, Christmas Eve. And I had prearranged with our project manager to be able to place an open-faced Bible uh, right where the pulpit would be as a testimony and reminder that anybody who teaches or preaches from here must do so from God's word. And so Ross was so kind and he, he took a lot of time to measure things out. Remember, it was just an open field at that point. So he knew exactly where this would be. A few weeks later, uh, they began to uh, install the first posts and then, of course, the skeleton of the building. So that is the very, very first post that they put on this building. So next slide. I did something that I will never, ever do again in my entire life. Ross and I were pretty tight, and uh, he said, listen, why don't I just take you up in the cherry picker, and you can get a really good picture, because now that one post became the frame, basically, of the building. I said, sure. I mean, I'm tall, but I thought maybe a few extra feet would help. So I got into the cherry picker, and uh, Ross just kept whatever it, is, whatever it is, like a go button. He just kept on pressing that little lever, and I went higher and higher. You can see how high I was. That was not what I had anticipated, but that's the frame of our building. Everything is built upon the foundation and the frame of our building. It's what keeps everything straight, and obviously, it keeps the building standing. In the same way... The Lord talks about the foundations of knowing him, what it means to be a Christian. This morning, we're going to contrast that in today's passage. But before we get there, as promised, just a little bit of Bible trivia, just two questions this morning. So the first question is this, which New Testament author or authors uses the term Antichrist. That's the question. Here are your options. A. Peter. B. John and James. C. John. D. Matthew and Luke. E. Because I'm not going to let you get off easy. All of the above. Or F. None of the above. The term Antichrist has captured our attention for centuries. It's been hotly debated who this Antichrist is, but it's a really important concept. If you've logged in your answers, the answer is C, John. Which kind of makes sense because we're 
studying one of John's letters. Question number two, flowing from that. John, you might remember, has he wrote five books. John uses the word Antichrist in the book of Revelation, true or false? Oh, I don't know why I put the word most in. Ignore that. John uses the word Antichrist in Revelation, true or false? The answer is false. He uses it. He does not use it in Revelation, which is probably surprising. You might accompany that. I'm not saying he doesn't speak of the concept, but he doesn't use the word. First John is where you find the word Antichrist. So the biblical concept, the person of Antichrist has captivated Christians, as I've said, for centuries. Lots of debate about what John is speaking to when he refers to the Antichrist or other New Testament authors will use other words. But please note the context. When we're studying God's word, there's a principle that you should keep in mind, and that's this. Context is king. You always want to see the immediate context and even the broader context of God's word when we encounter a concept or a truth. Think of it this way. John has much to say about love. He is the apostle of love. He talks about the life of God in people. John speaks about love in this letter 26 times. Last week, we saw that he spoke in the inverse. He told us what not to love. He told us where not to place our affections. He said, do not love the world. The world is passing away. And the world is under judgment. He wanted his Christian readers to know that throughout our Christian pilgrimage, throughout our walk with Christ, there will always be a tug And a pull from the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We cannot escape the temptations that we find in the world. But we are never to place our affections on the world. It was a gentle and a loving warning, a word of admonition. But John's not finished. Having spoken about the world out there, he now is going to speak about the world in the house, in the fellowship of God, in the church, perhaps with a lowercase, a local church, or the church with a big C. He's going to tell us that there will be people within the fellowship of Christians 
who may look like a Christian, they may fit in very nicely for a season. But eventually they'll walk away. Because there never was any life in them. And these particular people that he has in mind will peddle falsehoods. They will espouse or teach or promote ideas and concepts that are contrary to the gospel, contrary to the word of God. And John wants us to know that. It's a very sobering section of this letter. He knows that there are so many things that come against us that could pull us away, discourage us, distract us, or even set us on the wrong course completely. This is the elderly apostle giving a gentle word of encouragement and perspective. And he will eventually drive us to the word of God, to the person of God, and have us take heed in our walk with Christ. So this week and next, we're going to finish sec- uh, the second chapter of First John. You'll notice a little, something a little bit different this week, and this is based on input that was given us. On each slide, you'll see the actual verse that we're reading, verses just at the end. So thank you. When you give us input, we really appreciate that. So our text is 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to read it down to verse 25. Keep in mind, this morning we're going to hit the highlights. The next week we're going to kind of mop up, go in more detail, and finish the chapter. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Speaking of the people I just referenced. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But... Contrast, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is? The Christ and all that that entails. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Very important concept. No one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Now there is a lot in that passage. So kind of consider today and next Sunday a little mini-series on this passage. I want to kind of take us up and give us a 30,000 foot view. The first thing I want to do is, is highlight the challenge, the difficulty, the struggle, the danger that John is calling our attention to. This challenge permeates the New Testament, as we'll see in just a few minutes. If the previous loving warning was do not love the world that's out there, now there's a word of caution regarding what's here. It's very sobering and very serious. Let's develop this idea just a little bit, this concept, this individual of Antichrist. He clearly is a specific person of interest, an evil one. But John later will also refer to the spirit of Antichrist. And he'll also tell us, as he just did, that there are many Antichrists out there now, which was then. So I mentioned in the church email this week to make sure you have your Bible on you. We're going to look at a few different passages, and I encourage you to turn with me. We do have most of them on the screen, but some of them I really want you to see in your own Bible or your phone, whatever you have with you. So, let's take a moment and give a brief survey survey throughout the New Testament of this concept that John is speaking to. Because remember, the New Testament authors will bring their unique personality, their perspective, as God is leading them to write Scripture. So you'll find corresponding or correlating concepts in Scripture, but just presented in a different way. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul. So we're jumping from John to Paul. I want you to see what Paul has to say. Paul was talking about the return of Christ. And he was very adamant. He wanted them to understand that certain things had to take place prior to Christ's return. So let's look at some of these details. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. And you'll notice that occasionally I highlight words in yellow. That's not in the original. That's just a Colin edition. So I want you to kind of hone in on them. Paul says this. Chapter 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. That word deceive will pop up often in the New Testament. 
Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Different way of presenting what John is speaking of. But watch what he says next. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Remember what John said? The Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists are already here. Paul is saying basically the same idea. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Which is why you never believe someone just because they can do some pretty cool stuff. You test it against the straight edge of God's word. And with all wicked deception, there's that word again, for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, stop there just for a moment. Paul is saying the same thing that John is saying. There is a man, an individual yet future, who is coming. But now, there is the mystery or the concept of this lawless man already at work. It is the work, it is satanic, demonic activity in our world, primarily focused on the mind and truth. Bending and twisting, as we'll see, the truth of God to be error. The main game is deception. This, these are extraordinary words. He continues in verse 11. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion. So they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. Notice believing the truth and pleasure in righteousness. Those things are correlated what you believe and where your heart is. All of this in the end, this delusion is smoke and mirrors. These are very weighty passages. So that's Paul. Now let's go to Peter. Peter has a few things to say as well. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. We're developing this basic concept that there are people who peddle falsehoods. And those people are out there and they're also found in the company of believers. Chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose, past tense, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive 
heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. False teachers, falsehoods, but not necessarily always out there, but even here, even within the company of believers. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Hmm, Never seen that happen before. And in their greed, there's another little clue there. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. How many times do we see the world over? People pretending to minister the word of God actually more interested in your money. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Again, very sobering words. So I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn or scroll to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. A little parenthesis here. Acts chapter 17. You find the most remarkable occurrence in the early church. We're going to look at verse 11. I don't have it to flash up, but if you like, if you don't have your Bible, you can just jot it down. I'm actually going to begin in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went uh, into the Jewish synagogue. Now, verse 11. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They received the word with all eagerness, hungry for the word of God, And for the truth of God. But watch this. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Here are the apostles. Here's Paul teaching. And what are they doing? Well, they're fact checking. They're taking what they had to say and they're going back to the Hebrew scriptures, what they're basing this off of, and saying, well, is this really true? I want to encourage you to do that. To take what I say anyone else says here or any other Bible teachers you you have and test what the scripture says. Now, there's a gracious way to do this and there's an obnoxious way to do this. I'm not saying... Not by the obnoxious way of doing this, but always, always take the time to study and to review and to check these things out for yourself. So let's go back to Paul. Remember I told you lots of passages today. Let's go to the book of Acts. You're already there. Just flip over three chapters to chapter 20. This is Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. We'll narrow this down to verse 28 to 30. 
Watch what Paul says. This is how he commends the leaders of this church. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I want you to pause just for a moment there. We don't take it lightly when we select elders within our church. Notice what is before those of us who serve as elders. To not only give attention, obviously, to our own walk, but to those under our care. But watch what he says. God purchased, obtained this flock of people by his own blood. This is not casual Christianity. That price that was paid for the Lord to reconcile us to him, as Diane prayed, is the very blood of Christ, who is God in human flesh, and hence That statement. It is a breathtaking statement. He continues. Why does he say this? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. There's the theme again. Not necessarily just out there, but inside. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. There's that idea. Twisting the truth. With the intent, he says, of drawing the disciples away after them. Note. Their activity is destructive. They will take the truth of God that has been established and celebrated, if you will, believed for in our case for centuries prior, and they'll twist it. And there's this initial, huh? Like what are you, what are you saying here? But after a while it becomes normalized. And their goal eventually becomes to pull people with them. Again, these are people who name the name of Christ, who fellowship with, who are associated with Christians, formally or informally. John is saying to weary Christians, I know That you are in the midst of spiritual warfare. Keep your eyes on the prize. He's acknowledging the difficulties and the challenges that we as believers often face. I'm almost done. Jude, go to almost the end of your Bible. The book of Jude, one chapter. 
Jude, we're going to look at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Jude writing inspired scripture. Saying, I am calling to your remembrance that which the apostles clearly warned you about. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. The apostles told us this would happen. But you'll recognize them because contrary to what John has already been saying, when the life of God is living inside of people, our lives are transformed and changed. But these people's not, and these people not so. Worldly people devoid of the spirit passions. But now Jude gives the antidote. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We cannot be lazy in this. That's a continuous action. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. God purchased you with his own blood. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Summation. There will be people who are not born again, who are unsaved, who associate in the fellowship of believers in a local church or informally. Their teachings have consequences. They will depart from the true faith. They will promote ideas that are contrary to the gospel. And likely they will eventually leave. So we should not be shocked when we see people that we thought, even maybe from a distance, That he or she was a Christian leader and now they're walking away. Because the New Testament is replete with warnings that that will indeed happen. So here's what John is saying. You need to know this. Within the church of God. Within the fellowship of believers. Associated to a church or maybe other churches in the area. You can expect that there will, in fact, be people who are not truly born again. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Some of those people will actually and actively promote and teach false falsehoods. 
And those falsehoods will carry with them consequence to distract, discourage those who are walking with the Lord. There are people who very well might hurt you or us who fall into this category. I highlight these other passages because this is not something that is a passing reference in the New Testament. As we've seen, virtually all of the New Testament writers hit on it in one way or another. But I do want to leave you here with a word of encouragement. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read it very quickly here. Verse 19. This is a word of assurance. But God's firm foundation stands. I think the King James says the sure foundation of the Lord stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There's the word of assurance in the midst of these warnings. These warnings are not designed to make us look introspectively, obsessively at ourselves and say, well, am I not born again? That's not what he's after. He's basically saying, just be like the Bereans and you'll be all right. Always use the word of God as your straight edge. When people begin to depart from the truth of God, that's where the problems come. Notice, I'm turning back to to Jude, verse 21. The wonderful encouragement and the instruction that he gives Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Grow. Feed your mind with that which will inform your mind of the truth of God. And transform your thinking as well. What you plant your mind on, let it be the truth of God that will nourish and edify and build us up. Now friends, We are not left as orphans. We are not left alone to figure all of this out without any divine assistance. A beautiful concept that we will develop a little bit more next week. Look at what he says. He has given us his anointing. Jesus The Holy One of God has given us His Spirit. Every single Christian. The Lord does not give His Spirit to just the upper class of Christians, if you will. Every single one of us, we saw this in the book of Ephesians, when we believed we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Lord so graciously has given us His Spirit to live in us, to guide and to develop and grow us in accordance with His written word. The Spirit, of course, who inspired 
the word of God. So do you see the big picture? John is giving a very loving caution and warning to believers. You need to be sober-minded, as Peter says. You need to not be a lazy Christian. You need to not have your mind parked in places where it should not be. But are you rooting your life in the word of God? Remember Psalm 1 was our scripture reading last week or the week before. Verses 2 and 3 are so crucial. His delight is in the law of the Lord in which he meditates day and night. To meditate on God's word is to read it thoughtfully. To digest it. To turn it over in your mind. To consider it. Which leads me to an application today which is actually something that I missed last year. And that is a verse of the year for us for 2022. And it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit, well, about the last year or so, but even more so the last few weeks. So I want you to see it in your own Bibles. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 14. You will immediately recognize this because I did reference it quite a bit. Actually in 2020 as well. This is Paul's parting shot to the Corinthians. Two letters. You might know that the Corinthians did not exactly have it all together all the time. Dysfunction, dysfunctionality would be a good word for them. But he says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a beautiful Trinitarian blessing. Who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we not need more love and more grace from God? But the part that I want you to focus on is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship means interaction, friendship, sharing the common life, activity. Fellowship with the Spirit, fellowship with God, is not limited to head knowledge. Head knowledge is good and helpful. We've just been talking about that. But that's not what I'm really referring to. I'm referring to the vitality of our walk with Christ in which we honor the quiet place. We honor our personal fellowship with him. Which can only be cultivated through, number one, intentionality. We know, 
we know there are a million and one other things that are vying for our attention, it seems, literally every moment of every day. There's always the option to press the easy button and have our mind parked somewhere. Not all of those are bad places, but they become a negative influence if they crowd out our communion, which is what the King James says, or our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer, most definitely for Colin, but it is my prayer for us. Christian service and ministry is a beautiful thing. But that ministry should flow from our time with God. Our own walk with the Lord. In which we are meeting with him. Meditating, as Psalm 1 says, on his word in his presence. And living and serving and worshiping through the strength that he provides in that context. So we'll talk more about that throughout the year. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I commend it to you, put it before you, however you created people do that. Memorize it, think about it, reflect on it. And pursue it. A review for this morning. Do not love the world. Watch out for false teachers even in the company of believers. God has given you what you need to know truth from error. So next week we'll go a little more detail into that. And I leave you... With one of my favorite quotes. This was, this is on the concept of, um, of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is about a page long. 167 years ago, the minister of New Park Street Chapel in Southwark, England, opened his morning sermon in this way. He said, I will not oppose the idea that he just mentioned, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect, that's us, is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God that we call our Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost 
in its immensity. So deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content to go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. Oh, but when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise. But he is like a donkey's cult, with the solemn explanation, I am but of yesterday, and know nothing. The subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And whilst humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm For every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balm for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost. In his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. How's that for a sermon introduction? That was, of course, Charles Spurgeon at the age of 20. The age of 20, he preached that sermon. J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book, Knowing God, uses that quote as the introduction to his entire book on knowing God, which is why I read it to you this morning. If our focus is the fellowship, friendship, communion with the Holy Spirit, it begins with our mind and where we park our mind. I've gone a little over. Would you join me for a word of prayer as we close out? 
was gracious Heavenly Father. Thank you for your sure foundation. You know those who are yours. Thank you for the tremendous price that you paid to reconcile us to you, your own blood. As we begin in January now, a new year, let us never forget the wonder of the incarnation that is not just for December. O Lord, in giving this solemn warning that John has given, thank you that he couples it with your provision, with confidence and with assurance. That we be mindful as we walk with you. That we test what we hear from others by your word. The philosophies that we encounter in today's culture, that we use the straight edge of your word. And yes, my goal has been to offer this warning. But oh Lord, I do pray that you would encourage us with what John also said. That we would walk with confidence and joy with you. We know that we have not been called to an easy life. And we know that there will be many obstacles and challenges along the way. Some are common to all. And some are our own personal trials. We rely upon the love that you have for us. And we pray that we would encourage one another with the same. Thank you for the simplicity And the power of the gospel. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Suffered on a cross, was buried and rose again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Abandoning our own self efforts. But trusting exclusively. And the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.